But as proud of a, of a father as I am, I got to say that I've been really humbled uh, this week, especially trying to prepare this lesson. Uh, because today, well, as many of you know, our theme for the year is strong in Christ. So we're going through the Gospels. And of course, I'm going through Matthew. And we are now at the Sermon on the Mount, which is widely regarded as the greatest sermon ever preached. And how do I preach a sermon on the greatest sermon ever preached? I don't really see a winning line here. So there's just so much going on. So I, I just had had to pick a direction. So here's what we're going to do today. We are going to read the Beatitudes. Uh, the, it's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And I believe what Jesus is doing is really setting the stage for his teachings, like preparing our hearts and minds for his teachings. Uh, we're going to read the Beatitudes, and then we're going to apply uh, those Beatitudes, just a few of them, to a few of his teachings. So there's so many teachings, we can't look at all of them, but we'll look at a few, and we'll apply those. So as I've been doing um, a lot of uh, just research, reading, commentaries, articles, things like that, I've been really surprised by the the fact that there are so many different interpretations of the Sermon on the Mount. I'm not going to get into all of them, what they are, but... Because it's just shocking to me because it seems so straightforward and so literal. It's 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 very, actually, it's very easy to understand. Maybe the more the conceptual things are a little bit harder, but in terms of the inst moral instruction, it's extremely clear. And uh, so, uh, in G you know, and in terms of it, interpreting it, what does it mean for us? Jesus actually tells us in the sermon how he wants us uh, to interpret that, to, to interpret it. So uh, let's just go ahead. We're actually going to start before we get into the Beatitudes. We're going to just take a quick look here at how Jesus wants us to interpret the Sermon on the Mount. So in Matthew 5, uh, 17, we'll read through uh, verse 20. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so... Jesus, the thing that I really want to focus in on here is that Jesus says anyone in verse 19 who sets aside one of the least of these commands, right, and teaches others accordingly. So whether we teach by word or by example, if we teach others to set aside, and some other translations use the word relaxed, even relax the least of these commands. We will be least in the kingdom of heaven. And, and least in the kingdom of heaven is not good. Uh, it, you, it may sound like, hey, at least I still made it. I'm least in the kingdom of heaven. I'm still there. That's that's not what it means. Um, it means it means that you won't get in. That's that's what it means to be least in the kingdom of heaven. And so, a shocking statement that Jesus makes here is that your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees and the scribes. And so, uh, as people living in the 21st century, we kind of, if, if you're familiar with the Bible, you have. You kind of have some preconceived notions about the Pharisees and the scribes. And when, when we read this, it's easy to, to think, well, that's, that's not necessarily that 
high of a calling. It's not that impressive because we know that the Pharisees and the scribes were extremely religious. I mean, they, they had just, they had the entire old, some of them had the entire Old Testament memorized. They, they, they fasted weekly. They had all these uh, things that they continually did, all these rituals, and they were just devoted and uh, so disciplined with the practice of their religion. And so these people, these were also the religious authorities, not only the religious authorities in Jerusalem, but the authority, the government authorities in Jerusalem. I mean, Rome was ruling over them, but uh, the Pharisees and the scribes had a lot of authority, even in the community. Uh, and so these, these are basically the, the, the idols of society. They're, I mean, so many young men want to be a Pharisee. They want to be chosen to be a teacher, a scribe of the law. And to be as righteous as one of them it would be mind-blowing to hear that. Be like, are those guys you want us to be... To, wait, to even enter the kingdom of heaven? We have to be more righteous than them? And so what I really want to focus in on today is because what Jesus is saying is, is completely true. The reason he says that we need to be more, more righteous than them is because we, as we know now, that the, the Pharisees and the scribes, they, they lacked the heart behind their devotion. They, they, were, they were duty instead of delight in their service to God. And what the Sermon on the Mount teaches us, more above all, I think, the, the one thing that I want you guys to take away is that God's, that the Sermon on the Mount, God's law, so to speak, is so much more about who we are who we are made to become than about our behavior it's so much more about who god made us to become than about our behavior or our religious activities it's a it's our changing of our hearts and our minds and and really we live our, our discipleship our lives as christians from the inside out not the outside in and so with that Let's go ahead and jump on into the Beatitudes. So uh, it's at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And uh, we're going to go ahead and read this uh, all the way through. And then I'm just going to briefly skim, skim the top of each one of these. So now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. So what I want us to do actually right now is some of these, we're going to, we're going to talk about these concepts a little bit, but I want to show you guys a, what I believe would be a fairly accurate depiction of the, so the beautiful, the, the Beatitudes are beautiful attitudes, sort of, and that's not exactly what it means, but that's what I'm going to call it. 
And But here's what I think would be the attitudes of the world. So I'm just going to take a few of these things, not, not all of them, but five of them, put them on the screen. Okay, take a look at this. Uh, blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. That's what Jesus says. But blessed are those who put on a stiff upper lip. The world says, blessed are those who put on a stiff upper lip and pretend they aren't hurting because vulnerability is a weakness. Uh, about the meek inheriting the earth, blessed are the aggressive because the nice guys finish last. The world says, blessed are the people who only care about morality when it benefits them because they will have a good reputation and get further ahead. The world says, blessed are the winners because everyone who's not a winner is a loser. The world says, blessed are the tolerant and politically correct because they're way more open-minded and progressive than those close-minded Christians. And that's in regards to when people persecute us and revile us. So what does it mean? There's an extremely, uh, Jesus is extremely intentional with, with the Beatitudes. And he's extremely intentional with their order. Uh, and I believe being poor in spirit, it, everything in the spiritual, in the Christian life starts with being poor in spirit. And so uh, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? I think, I think the most simple definition to be poor in spirit is to deeply understand your need for God. You need God. I need God. We, we, we wouldn't even be, God made us. He created us. We would not even be, we wouldn't have breath in our lungs right now if it weren't for God. So let's just acknowledge God on that, that simple basis. Not only do we need God to live, we need, if we hope to do something positive, something meaningful, something impactful with our lives that lasts multiple generations or even into eternity, we desperately need God. Sin, sin is a, is the world's issue. It's each and every individual man and woman's issue that there's not an easy fix for. And, and as a matter of fact, God had to go to the lengths of sending Jesus all the way to death on a cross to handle this issue in our lives. We need to deeply understand that we need God. So each day, that we go without uh, God in our lives, where we just don't think about him, where we just don't read his word, where we don't pray, where we don't serve others, where we're not thinking about others, is a day where our spirit uh, weakens and well, and then becomes consumed by itself. And therefore, and therefore uh, our spirit is strong in a way because it's prideful. We need to be poor in spirit. We need to think, less of our spiritual abilities. We, we're not awesome. We're not, we're just, we're not God's gift to all of creation. We need to be poor in spirit. We need to start there. That's what we need to start to even hear, to even begin to comprehend and apply these teachings to our lives. Uh, blessed are those who mourn. Now, this is strange because does God want us to be sad? You know, actually, these, these first two Beatitudes are directly taken from concepts from Isaiah chapter 61. And Isaiah 61 is, is a messianic chapter about, it really has so much to do with the kingdom and the age to come. And this idea of mourning is this idea of kind of inner conflict. If, you, if you're poor in spirit, 
And this is where these, these all connect and they, and they go in order. If you're poor in spirit, you realize that, man, there, there's so much wrong inside my own heart. And there's so much wrong in the world around me. And I'm eagerly awaiting the age to come. There's this inner conflict that's going on. And, and really what Isaiah 61 points to is, is ultimately for those people who are mourning inside, who are conflicted inside, will receive vindication. And, you know, it's really actually a good, if you think about that, if you think about mourning in that way, it's actually extremely moving. It's, it's enough to, to move us in our hearts to actually live for the age to come. Okay. The next is blessed are the meek. Meekness. This is actually, this is my favorite uh, quality virtue about Jesus is his meekness. The best definition that I've heard of meekness is domesticated strength. And so, you know, for, for those of you, especially uh, people who are, those of you who are older or mature in Christ, been a disciple many years, it, it's usually fairly easy to acknowledge that you're poor in spirit. But I want to ask you, what about when someone else points out that your your brother or sister points out that you're poor in spirit, that you need God or that you need to repent in a certain area of your life? How, how do you respond? How do you react? Well, meekness is the domesticated strength that is able to control us in situations like that. When our emotions kind of flare, our pride flares or we take it personally, or we're offended, or whatever those emotions are, whatever those, that the instinct, meekness, is the virtue that demolishes the spirit of malice, of retaliation, and of vengeance, and it just gets rid of it, and we see Jesus live that out so well, and when the, uh, when the crowds and the, and the Pharisees are beating him, and spitting on him, and he, and he, well, ultimately what he says on the cross is, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they are doing. That is meekness. Hunger and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hungry, hungering and thirsting are, you know, two of life's most intense desires, intense cravings. And what we really hunger and thirst for is shown in our actions, in our life. And so I think it would be good to to, you know, try to do your best to pretend to, you know, be an unbiased third party examining your life, your own life. And what is it, what does it look like from this unbiased standpoint? What would this, you know, this figurative person say you're hungering and thirsting for in your life? Is it righteousness or, or is it the pursuit of other things? It's so easy... In, in the book of Timothy, it's, uh, it says that be a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Do not become entangled in civilian pursuits. Civilian pursuits are so incredible. We are so incredibly easily entangled in them. Um, and we must be on our guard against them. And we must hunger and thirst for righteousness. Be merciful for though, for you. Will blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. I think being merciful starts with recognizing how merciful God has been to us. You know, if you were the only person on earth, Jesus would still have went to the cross for your sins because the scriptures 
said it must be so. Jesus is the way for God to deal with the problem of sin and sin separating his creation from him. And so we really all have to take personal ownership. You know, in Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching to the crowds, thousands of people from all over the world. And he uses this, this phrase of you, whom, Christ whom you crucified. He's able to say that because of this, this timeless principle that our sins are what put Jesus on the cross. And I don't know about you, but for me, no one has ever wronged me as much as I've wronged God. As many times have I been, as I've been selfish, as I've lusted, as I looked out for my own interests, no one has ever wronged me that many times, um, and that intensely. And so, how how can we be so critical about this? How can we be so unwilling to forgive when someone wrongs us, makes a mistake, hurts us? Man, God has been so. If you're if you're a a disciple of Jesus, God has been so merciful to you. Um, so please have mercy on others, and you will receive mercy. Pure, blessed are the pure in heart. Single-minded, this idea of utter sincerity, complete authenticity, genuine, all those words that, is, that it's from the heart, right? That we we worship God out of delight and not duty. And and we're and we're single minded in our pursuit of God. We're pure in heart. You know, purity of heart. Our hearts are they're so adhesive, they're so sticky. Things stick to them and we desire them and we want them. And they cloud our judgment and they cloud our vision. We have to strive to purify our hearts. And the way that we do that is by is by going to God for his help and, and finding strength in his word to purify our hearts. Blessed are the peacemakers, right? And peace is, is something that is actually really difficult to attain. A lot of times we can coexist or we can appease one another, but to have true unity and peace is difficult to achieve and it involves conflict. Peacemaking involves conflict, so we have to be willing uh, to make peace, which we'll, we'll talk about a teaching about that a little bit later. And lastly, persecuted because of righteousness. Persecuted because of righteousness. You know, we see so many heroes of the faith. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is, is called the Hall of Faith. It's all about so many heroes of the Bible who were persecuted for righteousness, but they were faithful to the very end. You know, Blessed are, are, are we when we are persecuted for righteousness. You know, I think this, someone who's coming to mind who, who's persecuted for righteousness would, would be uh, Rosa Parks. And she was unwilling to give, I forget which way it was, if she was unwilling to give up her spot or wouldn't sit in a particular spot on the bus, right? She was standing up for, for civil rights for African Americans. And she was persecuted for that. But she was doing what's right. And she's blessed. Uh, for that. So it's these, it's really turning all those worldly attitudes that we looked at, where, where aggression, where strength, where at any cost, where domination, where those things are, are more important. Uh, where we're willing to throw morality out the window to achieve what we want for ourselves. Um, 
those things are, are highly valued characteristics in, in our society. Um, because, and, you know, you can disagree with that, but the reality is, is that those are the people who have the most power. Uh, or is typically, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to say everyone is, is, that's in power is like this, but, but typically speaking, it's, it's the people who've made moral compromise. And uh, in, in the kingdom of God, uh, that is not who rises to the top. And remember that we uh, are living, we're trying to be a signpost for the kingdom of God. And so these things, this is what has to, may always go back to the, the Beatitudes. This is what must set our mind, get our minds and hearts ready to hear Jesus' teaching and to truly take them to heart and truly live them out. So let's let's quickly uh, just spend a few minutes looking for, through a few teachings um, of Jesus. So we're going to look here at a teaching about lust. Uh, Matthew 5, 27 says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, adultery under the Old Covenant was punishable by death. And so, when, when okay, I'm going to backtrack just a second. Most people are, are good people, right? Most people keep their nose clean and they stay out of trouble. Most people are good people in comparison to what, though? To other people? To evil people? I don't know. But what about to this? Men, men out there. When you when you look when you read this verse, how virtuous, how how good, how morally, how do you feel about your moral integrity? Are you an adulterer? Jesus is addressing the heart. You know, if we're going to be faithful to to God, you know, to to our spouses, we have to end. Adultery at the heart level, which is which is the thought, which is the lust. We need to have self-control in our minds, okay? And this is what I believe is directly correlated to hunger and thirsting for righteousness. We're not okay with just a little right. I'm not, I'm not filled up with righteousness just by staying uh, faithful, in a sense, to my wife, where I at least didn't act out anything. No, 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 no. I, I want to hunger and thirst for absolute purity, for absolute faithfulness in my marriage, and absolute faithfulness in, in my in my walk with God, right? Not letting this idea of purity has so much to do with uh, a purity of our heart than, than, than just sexual purity. We want to keep our lives uh, with Jesus. Free from impurities, you know, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about being the salt of the earth. And so salt is actually... Uh, a stable compound, sodium chloride, is completely stable. But in Jesus' time, uh, salt was not derived from evaporated salt water like we have now. So your table salt's not going to lose its saltiness, right? He talks about losing saltiness and being good for nothing to be, but to be trampled underfoot. And what, but they got a lot of their salt from salt marshes. And so there's lots of other uh, compounds and things in in that salt. And what would happen is over time it would it would basically leach out the saltiness of the salt and be good for nothing. It's those impurities. Uh, we need to keep ourselves pure uh, in order to stay salty for God. Sorry, I went off on a little bit of a, a tangent there. Um, a little off topic. Okay, let's go ahead and keep moving. 
Uh, I want to talk about uh, peacemaking. There's a teaching in Matthew 5, 23. It says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. And so, this is about peacemaking. If you remember someone has something against you, not only like that you have something against someone else, right? That tends to bother us a lot more than if we're like, oh, I wonder if what I said the other day hurt that person. And we have to really be careful and be examining of our lives to catch those sorts of things. That's the level of integrity that Jesus is calling us to. But Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount in the region of Galilee, which would have been about 60 miles from the temple in Jerusalem. So he's talking about the altar at the temple. So it's about a three days walk, uh, three full days walk. And so could you imagine hearing this and Jesus saying, look, you've walked, you spent three days, you took three days off work to get to the temple, to offer your sacrifice. Now I want you to walk three days back to get right with the person whom you have offended or you, that you have something that you need to resolve with them. And then I want you to walk another three days back to the temple so that you can worship God and then, of course, finish your journey back. How far are we willing? How far are you willing to go to make, to make peace? Husbands, how, how far are you willing to go to make peace with your wives? Wives, how far are you willing to go with your husbands? Could you imagine the world would be like if everyone went to these lengths to achieve peace? You know, we have so much tension in our, in our nation between the political parties. Could you just imagine if, if each party made these, this much effort to be unified and have, and have peace? Uh, we would, I just, we would, of course, we'd be in a better place, but, but then we'd be in heaven. And I guess, I guess we're not there yet. We got to wait a little bit longer. But we can have the kingdom. We can have bits and pieces, the kingdom of God now by adopting the mindset of these Beatitudes and letting them control, letting them impact our lives. All right, lastly, um, talk about Jesus' teaching about loving our enemies. Matthew 5, 43, it says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are, you not, even, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Could you imagine meeting the person who ran, who drove a plane into the World Trade Center back in 2011 and offering them an invitation to forgiveness, offering them the gospel rather than condemning them to hell, praying for them. You know, we have, we have all kinds of enemies. We have people, I mean... When, when we think differently from people, we tend to oppose them uh, in our minds. And so people who just disagree with you or see things differently than you, uh, 
in a conflict can quickly become our enemies. And what is our attitude going to be towards them? How are we going to act towards them? How are we going to love, love them? So there's this principle uh, about loving enemies in Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 10. And I think this teaching here really just epitomizes the love of God in Christ Jesus. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. See, we were enemies of God. Going back to that principle about our sins or what put Jesus on the cross. We have a poet. Whenever we're not with God, participating with him, we are opposing him. But think about the, the patience and the love that God has shown shown towards each one of us. I think this goes back to the beatitude of blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So to wrap things up, guys, what do we do with, with Matthew chapter 5? I think the, the very first thing, right, is that we need to get sincere in our worship. We need to Right? We need to be different in our righteousness from the Pharisees and the scribes by being authentic in our worship of God. How, how, do you, how do you get sincere? You know, I think it starts with sincerity, being honest and open about where you're at in your life. Like, look, we're all, especially during this time, we're all going through conflict. We're all going through struggles. We're all... We all have feelings. We're, we're human beings. Being honest with God. Have you been praying? Have you been talking to God about those things? Have you been talking to others about those things? I think going uh, and being open about your life with others helps us be sincere towards God. You know, I've seen so many uh, disciples' faith grow weak and die because they were more concerned with extracting blessings from God, using their relationship to extract blessings from him rather than seeking him for himself. Could you imagine if God related to us that way? If God's goal with our lives was just to extract something from us? I'm so glad that that is not our God. Let's not relate to him. Let's not treat him in a way that's uh, not, that it would be unfair to him. That is not mutual. There's the tried and true uh, disciplines of Bible study in prayer, take that sincerity, take that, that hunger and that thirst into your Bible study. Here's a couple ideas for how you can continue to study the Sermon on the Mount. You know, take several quiet times uh, this week to study. One thing I find really interesting is the particular rewards that are associated with each beatitude. For example, the meek shall inherit the earth. Well, that's different from what the peacemakers get. So, why is inheriting earth associated with the meek? Another idea would be what are the old what are what are the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus is drawing on for each one of these principles? They're they're all Old Testament ideas that he's elaborating on. And lastly, what for all the teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, what what beatitude is Jesus really trying to get at? Which which one is he really trying to teach people to apply and do that for all of the teachings? And the last thing is to make a decision to obey the teachings of Jesus. Don't intend on it. 
right? What I, what I mean by that is life is built on character. And character is built on decisions. It's not built on intentions. Honestly, guys, intentions that are never acted upon are quite meaningless. We need to make the decision. And we're motivated to make that decision. Because the man who's giving us this sermon is the very man who gave everything, who became poor so that we might become rich, who gave everything to us so that we might be saved and so that we might also become mature, uh, complete in Christ and live for the, for the age to come.